0: Um, this is sort of an oldie, but a goodie. I think it was one of the first things I wrote that I never recorded, and it's long be warned. Someone new suggested I write a book, then that's three, three women. Perhaps the reason I don't or haven't written will comprise a book. There are so many reasons to not write. The first reason to is, It was three women, three various women, perhaps of an age, I know roughly, but women who know a world gone wrong when they see one. I was talking at the time, angry about exploitation, and she said, you should write a book. And I know that books, not all of them, but in my limited experience, books are bought by people who already agree with what the book says. This must be good to reassure, to provide scholarship, to um, bias. It is good, but I can't write that way. It is consensus writing, which cannot be a criticism. Who doesn't do that except Galileo? I'm not observing some feminine principle I'm not extrapolating here I'm saying coincidentally as it happens three women have seriously suggested I write a book and I seriously think and acknowledge that at least one of them just wanted me to stop talking and write a book she'd never read which is fun and it does shut me up because it gently points out the vanity of holding forth and hints at the inherent and massive narcissism of writing a book. Or thinking one should. The men, well we know them don't we, but one clear indisputable of this is that the men who might have been curious are not. They might say and often have in so many words these men, my work is not to be curious, my job is to know. They have fallen the great fall that a world gone wrong lays out for them, a trap for those who have profited from this world gone wrong. They insist it has gone right, pinker-like, but for a few unfortunate bits which they are hard at work fixing, so trust them, to which conundrum my three women have responded, no thanks, we have all in hand, go to the barbers or golf or something while we clear up the mess, so nothing for me to contribute there. We are all corralled into the myths that have clung to us like depressions for centuries. Some of us have prevailed within them. The successful, the rich, the ones the rest of us look up to, piningly. Why? I have nothing to say. I don't look up to them. I'm sure of what success is, and for me that isn't it. Success must be known, otherwise why bother, but it can't be known. When one is in the strenuous throes of love and peaking in creativity, one usually feels only terror or a coming apart at the seams, then then one is, I say, successful. The other thing, the heavy house, the heavier car, the Oscar, the golden watch, the noise in the news, is as relevant as Ozymandias. Lifeless things, round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. I am only just and simply curious." In my field of action, it looks like curiosity has dwindled. We are chasing the sure thing, and there it is in books. This is how Shakespeare was done, what Chekhov meant. Every homily preposterous, but that we are so in need of certainty. The investors hit. Obey this rule, follow that rule, read that book, my book, and all will be revealed and you'll have a hit. In fact, so many hits were mistakes. Too many to make a how-to book a bestseller. The book follows the masterpiece, sucking up anecdotes and detritus eBay stuff, no more useful than a poster of Casablanca in recreating its lightning. It is not the writer's fault, and they are not blameless. The huge satisfaction creating anything, no matter how dull, cannot be denied. It was somebody's job once, and still is, mostly unrewarded, to explore, not to find finding can be faked especially when it is rewarded how many books can be sold by different authors saying the same thing to strive to seek to find to find again and not to yield it's perfectly natural stephen king lee child two great writers of fiction plow the same grooves over and over and we are grateful and should be our desire for reiteration is bottomless it is delightful and child's archetype is so nuanced, his reacher, his vision so secure, I read it like I needed to. I am as susceptible as the rest. He guards a sacred place in my psyche. Then suddenly he doesn't. After 10 books, I couldn't get through the last one. And no, he's not off his game. I changed. Was changed, perhaps by Jack. I had sucked to the full, then moved on. Books sell because they are specifically unoriginal, like cars or cereal. We want to hear one's story in different colors, escaping in into them for a world with rules we prefer, that which we have discovered through other books and seek again, maybe hoping the next one will be really life-changing, will establish that the world really is Middle-earth, and we are hobbits, or Harry Potter's apparently unremarkable but magic. These are fictions. No problem. I think they are no different from anything else conceived subjectively like history or psychology. They are not sciences. Math and biology, etc. are, and their texts admit, more than the historian ever does. This is, as far as we know so far, and to the best of our knowledge, true. Historians do not say that anymore. Thucydides did. It seems, too, having mentioned hobbits, that we are often being drawn into the writer's world vision, and because he or she are often following our desires, made clear by what the NYT bestseller is or Hollywood does, we might be advised to be unhobbit like curious and wary. As a European, I have been glutted with kings and queens, missing kings, lost kings, once and future kings, white queens, virginal queens, queens of witchery. The story is being drubbed into me that kings or almost kings like Hamlet are cut above. As Jordan Peterson says, animals have hierarchy, so, so do we. And he, a writer, has suddenly stimulated his followers to imagine themselves as alpha gorillas who fight off their rivals and get all the girl gorillas. This might have some truth. You decide it's harmless, I hope. But one should be sure also, I think, that one isn't agreeing because one needs to. His theory does demand that girl gorillas are okay with this arrangement, just like our girls should be. That is the length and depth of Peterson, I am afraid. And I am even more afraid his following is huge. I am sure Peterson has read and absorbed Tolkien and registered The Hobbit and The Hidden Princes Among Us. The fellowship looks like any meeting of the great, the council of the wise, the gestad of Middle-earth the innocent simple hobbit drawn into their circle selected elected by the special one special ones who do the world's work behind the scenes for no reward but the doing of it the world some evil, some good, mindless orcs and slightly curious but timid hobbits who like lots of food and good tobacco. It seems to me every politician in all the democracies imagine themselves part of the fellowship shepherding their herd, their folks, and the other side is Sauron, seething, malevolent, conspiratorial evil. Tolkien was a devout Catholic. He made a world of the meek, and they inherited as long as the Lord class did their violent job to protect the inheritance. I love his books, but I am not a devout Catholic. I'm no hobbit. C.S. Lewis, famously Christian, though I had no idea as I plowed through from wardrobe to dawn-treader at five, pitched into the myth of my imagining. I assumed this was how the world worked behind the scenes once I knew my parents were not good for imitating or heroizing. Princes, scholars, mages, warriors, and the odd fairy, Holders of the ancient knowledge meet up and agree that this is what we need to do to fix the world gone wrong. And I was born to belong to the fellowship, and I'm pretty sure my mates were too. At this point, there was a reckoning as I moved from reading massively before going to school to when I did go. I was in the, i was in for the shock of my life, which still forms and reforms me. I had my thinking cap on before I ever met a teacher, my imagining cap but I found pretty soon that my books were forbidden. All they had fired in my psyche, and all they had borne was forbidden. Nothing I had discovered between book and classroom had prepared me for this. They insisted I was not born to the fellowship. I was to be trained to be a hobbit, or a Christian, a a meek one. This is the purpose of school, not to reconcile one's nature to the world and find a useful place in it but to become for the sake of the world the hobbit one wasn't. I hear echoes of this every day the hero class speaking of the folks I always hear shire folk hobbits I never hear the self-appointed heroines say we folk so are they archetypes variously written as hobbit, wizard, hero, elf, written into our genetic memories in that Jungian way, and if we access them imaginatively, we will be fulfilled somehow, individuated? Maybe. Why not? But if not, what a mechanism of control these books might be. Tolkien was, I say again, a devout Catholic. Six members of the Supreme Court are devout Catholics. Which archetype is the hobbit? It might be to me an elder, a wise man who becomes that peaceful after his wars and adventures, a Gandalf with whom the hobbit shares the pipe. This makes complete sense. But there are no adventures, wars, travels, adventures. There is Frodo, the curious hobbit, tainted and traumatized by adventure, a crazy man, an outsider, so no hobbit in our Christian world doesn't arrive there. He is made, educated, and conditioned or indoctrinated into hobbitry. And the Fellowship? They are our colonists. Their destinies manifest, their goodness unquestioned, to be disseminated among the less fortunate, our knights and damsels, and through Shakespeare, our kings. These things I learned in school. Recognizable because of Tolkien, but I knew that the books were made up, deeper than the truth, but not deep enough. So they wore off like Jack Reacher. And this indeed is heresy. Plato, by the way, yes, him, the infallible, the too many more interesting and mysterious and less pedantic than Aristotle, origin of Western wisdom, also our first great supremacist, is said to have said or written that meritocracy is unnatural because human nature makes us prioritize our own children. This little trope has thrilled and motivated men for thousands of years, swelled their hearts and their muscles. Suddenly we are demigods passing on our marvelous essence to sons and very recently more more recently, daughters. And why was this groundbreaking and new? Well, we like the big idea. We still do. It is that core of our Christian thing. But for the greatest chunk of human history, men did not connect themselves to the birth of babies. And even when they did, we are not sure when monogamy became our central human naturism. So for thousands of years, the chaps might have thought they'd cover their bets and protect the whole tribe on the off chance so plato if you knew your history and if your greek groupies had followed that followed had been curious about theirs instead of regurgitating what you pronounced perhaps because that is what much of wisdom really is and quoting plato is sure fire best seller stratagem the knowledge dawned at last that the fun had between the furs is what made babies and men became gods. It might also be worth wondering about this departure from Eden into what we insist is human nature that has brought us marriage with its possession, monogamy, jealousy, need to prove ourselves worthy, monotheism and its wars and its wretched monarchs, then we might swing back to the gorillas in cages and look at the chaps tearing each other to bits until the last ape is standing again. The Peterson heart swells, you see? And if we know, as some swear they do, that human nature began in that Eden, evil women, weak men and all, then Peterson has his point. Once more, we haven't a clue. We have decided, and our great myths have confirmed, as made fact by historians and other writers of honest fiction, that these are the primal forces that move deep within us, that we are like the kings of Shakespeare insane, ambitious, murderous, covetous, and Christian. Or like Frodo, nice. And hoping this king will not be, this year, the king will not be mad at the French. Confession at this point. I have dreamt and imagined and felt for 65 years, and I have never imagined myself a hobbit or a king, not even really that nice in between the, the warrior fantasy of many young men until they are educated to aspire to hobbitry the real warriors and they do exist i think are compelled to act in ways that make college unnecessary or just a waste of time i do share that with them but i am no warrior in the joseph campbell way the one who is willing to sacrifice himself or herself for the greater good achilles was no warrior by this definition either he was a rebel proto-socialist. Oh yes, not an obeyer of hierarchy. Plato should have known that. The closest thing I can come up with out of the pantheon of the archetypes for myself would be Achilles, not in prowess or physical courage, mistake me not, but yes in the anti-authoritarian icon-busting unwise way. There's no Achilles in the Lord of the Rings. Aragorn is loyal to a fault, Boromir, Judas, the repentant traitor, seduced by the ring of power. Achilles wants only to be himself, knowing and paying the price. He obviously strode outside the gates of Eden, predating Christianity and her Tolkiens, so we are very, very uneasy around him. The other thing about writing is the reading not fiction. Fiction is exempt from my nasty research. In the best fiction, we all want to know what happens. Maybe it's because of the theater, which has dominated 40 years of my life, that I love story. Where does Macbeth go in that great diseased mind? Fiction has no definition. It is for each of us to imagine. It doesn't presume truth, only excitement. It will last forever, despite the insisting today on truth. Facts. So many cry in defiance. What are the facts? Ah, clearly anything we want them to be Choose your dagger and don't complain, the lady seems to say (sighs) That claim today, it's all about science Science is truth I did not take the vaccine because I believe in science, neither did you Any scientist worth her Fauci will acknowledge it's an educated guess and how it works is beyond my understanding as real as a virgin birth. I got vaccination because I'm a betting man. My odds are better if I get a jab. The anti-vaxxers are the scientists. You might actually be that one in a million the vaccine doesn't like. I have found even in non-fiction of the better sort that after reading for half an hour or so, my mind has changed. Not in the, oh, I'm wiser now sense, but in the actor sense that I start to talk and think like the writer. I'll even walk to the mailbox in the manner I imagine the author might. G.B. Shaw is a particular example because we have the twinkly eye bearded photos. One might take a walking stick to the mailbox. So what happens to me as I read the writers that move me quite literally maybe because men are the great imitators. In my experience, one wants to stay in the performance. The creation that is James Bond but is not Ian Fleming just oozes from the page. The writer is just a clever fan. When I read Mary Renault or Ursula Le Guin, I'm just stunned, Joan Diddy and Toni Morrison. Then I feel like I'm reading something from a deep well I can never access. Of course, that is about my intention and the color of my need. You might find this strange, okay, but then much that actors do seems strange, until the real people admit they do the same thing walking to the mailbox. And if you never have, try it. These are the days of Yuval Harare. Oh my, he is marvelous, and he does the very thing that most writers I try to read, don't. He wants you to understand what he is saying much more than he wants to impress you with how clever he is. He is not Thomas Jefferson. I appear to be in the impress you club, I confess. I am not appearances count for much, but my excuse is that I cannot think more carefully. Another reason the book is unlikely. I'm not the great human that Harari or Anand Girdhardas are, the artfully clever writer is almost a danger. Not in themselves. It is not their fault that some of us are so gullible. One often reads in the comments on a YouTube debate, they are so grateful to hear such an intelligent discussion, where often it is only an articulate one. And in a world where the appearance of talent is really all you need to be rich, the copyists can dominate. And this is genuinely dangerous. Peterson is a great example. He's a very attractive listener. I wouldn't have the patience or need to read him, but as a speaker, he's a great watch, great faces speaking silliness. But in this hour of crumbling patriarch and exposed phony manhoods, they answer the bell. Their listeners can say like they do, I'm not curious, I know. These are very successful, talented fellows. Good guys. I say no different, but such examples of silliness. To debate Stephen Fry and iterate twice that if you Google Fry, you will be smitten with an inferiority complex. What is up that you cannot celebrate another man's achievement, Jordan? What adolescence are you marketing here? A joke? Maybe, but not to his listeners. Then to say... Raskolnikov is an example of an atheist murdering a woman because he can and get away with it, demonstrating Dostoevsky's assertion that a man without God is an immoral man, then saying he justifies the murder to himself by saying to himself she was a terrible person and the world would be a better place without her. Precisely the justification a Christian uses to go on another of their murderous binges in their Iraq du jour. It's precisely what America said about Saddam Hussein. This kind of stuff has every right to be spoken. No doubt there's much more. This was as much as I could bear. And there are many writers like him out there, no foul, except that there is such a need to hear and believe it. Perhaps there always was, or perhaps his readers skulked in the back rows at church, secure in the belief that God would eventually punish those who deserved, but were not yet punished. Peterson substitutes. Really, for the reality, for the fire and a brimstone preacher filling his congregants with self-righteous passion. And it's true that maybe the church was right in their book burning and their play banning days. The passion, my own altered behavior after reading a bit, powerful juju, I even feel it when I'm writing screeds like this, a passion. And I just don't trust it. Not because it isn't truthful. Maybe because it is truthful and indiscriminate. But to curb and clarify, to restrain and rewrite, convincing people of something you have dug up that may be useful also has an element of manipulation. I fear this is the Facebook frenzy. That rants like this are dangerous. This giving in to a rumble of thoughts, uncensored. Yes, there is a risk we several, but we are new to it. The great manipulators have held sway for millennia, and we have listened more impressed by the articulate than the ones making sense. We plebs just need some practice to catch up, to become as persuasive as prelates and Petersons. It does seem we learned to talk way back in caveman days, talked a lot, then stopped when someone said, Oh, I have the word of God, listen to me. Then we listened and eventually read for so long that perhaps had we spoken it, we would have said, gosh, I'm an idiot. But he said it was the word of God. And then, ah, yes, it happened. Only God speaks truth. And now we are in trouble. And we are surrounded, inundated by Petersons, saying, no, no foul, we just stopped believing. For me, I think the Facebook book frenzy is just that. After millennia of listening to what we were supposed to hear, the voice of some God, we started talking again. In my short life, I've seen this happen. More people think about and speak about the world we live in. They have an opinion. You might not like it, but it is better than obedience. It isn't only that Walter Cronkite was an immense talent. It is also that we only wanted to hear one take, shrouded in patriarchal glitter. Now we are more demanding, and the Cronkites of today are not up to it. Jealous of their rank and dismissive of anyone challenging their supremacy. The mainstream media isn't just boring, it is feudal. Myth-seekers cannot handle the truth, Of their myths lie? Myth-needers, really? When Edward Bernays was developing his cynical, if honest, advertising campaigns in America, he was asked why America, and one of his disciples grinned and said, they are the unhappiest people, perfect for us, in that Silicon Valley sort of way. So, as I see it, the storyteller, book writer, filmmaker, is largely involved in myth perpetuation. My television, should I turn it on, is almost wall-to-wall perpetuation. One imagined maybe the innocence of youth allowing that Walter Cronkite was different different on the evidence of his documentary in 1968 on the failure of the Vietnam War, 1968, long before the mainstream could cope with the failure, over 50 years before the U.S. still can't cope with the Afghanistan failure. He does stand up well, but his book would not make the NYT bestseller list. Or if it did, it'd be for a week. Or we might be proud of lacerating ourselves in that Christian way. And he is rare. I can see the mainstream become iconoclast. We're a long way from there right now, but we can get back. And I suppose there's nothing really wrong with succumbing to myth. Some are stranger than others, perhaps unifying, which is the great claim made from myth. Though I cannot agree, they do feel to me extremely personal, like real religion, amino acids for the soul, not psychological amway, but the succumbers are strident. Perhaps that is life at its fullest and deepest. However, should any of us find that it is not going so well? that perhaps it is a world gone wrong, that female gorillas would like to choose their mate, we might attach ourselves to other myths, and the makers, the writers, the art and filmmakers might, against their economic interests, tell other stories. Joseph Campbell's claim that our stories spring from our deepest natures might be true. Some stories do feel that way, but the Lord of the Rings does not. It changes our deepest nature, manipulates maybe, like a a three-toke TV commercial. Which of us identifies as Hobbit? Are we all naturally fearful, passive with low blood pressure, avoiders of temptation? Are we all cool with being folks? Are we? Do impulses in the Hobbit line rush at us in dreams? Or have they been created cunningly by the descendants of Peter and Paul and Edward Bernays? Are our warriors and iconoclasts out there in the Fenlands of our Beowulfs to be craved, then scapegoated, for demanding too highly of us? Where does Aragon go when Sauron is beaten, when the evil is quenched? And it is a great story. I read it over and over. Then I stopped. In a dark time, I tried to go back, but its power was horribly diminished. I'm still fond of it, but I don't read it anymore or watch the movies. It served its purpose greatly in my childhoods. And I have found it lovely to love my nostalgias, the first crunch of snow in the dark of the wardrobe before Narnia. Oh yes, but there are mysteries that wait in my age that I will love as well and as deeply. I have been asked to nominate some movies for awards. Most of them are not to my liking, would never have been. They are myths entirely foreign to me, really stories of teenagers and teenage love or immigrants longing to be hobbits. Then get, then the Gimli's, the Rambos, the Aragorn's glibly connecting honor and war that really confirm that war never ends, that there is no peaceful shire to return to for long. There is only respite. Then our nature wakes up like Vesuvius and if we are not careful or if we are pious deniers it erupts and destroys us of course it may be that our storytellers are zealots of the prevailing myths too again on the evidence the wielders of the power we have surrendered the priests and intellectuals politicians and professors are zealots it is far more effective than lying we dupes assume they are lying that is the dupes myth but what is the what and the why of the zealot? There is a lot of it about, as the cockney would say. We know it's here. We call it extremism. And there are easy versions to see and be comfortable defining, or rather some of us, maybe the majority of us, are comfortable defining and we create a consensus. As if, if we didn't have some notion of an implacable and unforgivable other, we might cease ourselves to exist so for instance some say, someone says that to save our democracy we must crush the other party into dust so they will blow away not kidding someone posted that twice followed by oodles of likes someone said I just imagine all Christians are evil I don't at all I like lots of people I have had devout lovers I don't see their belief as their fault It is the need, which for some perverse reason I don't share. I have often wished I did. So many unifying rights and commonalities are based on it. I never imagined this possible. But the other day I had a business meeting. One participant didn't get me. Another confided I was secular. There is no outcome of this meeting yet, and it would be a first, but it may be I am untrustworthy because of what I do not believe. And it will be very understandable. If we are unified by our common beliefs, we must be otherable if we do not share them. In a sense, I become the essence of the devil. We shall see. There are many, many possible reasons. I don't need a sparse upbringing, neglectful parents, no indoctrination when I was young and impressionable, too much moving around, I look at the fathers I meet, the mothers, the children, as people just like me, or as like as is necessary, but I am slowly becoming aware that they see me as an anomaly. A goddaughter of mine asked me long ago if I had children. I was 50 at the time. I said, no. Was I married? Had I been married? No. And no. She looked at me a minute then said, you better hurry up then. She was 15. No hint of a joke. So I propose that our beliefs, systems of beliefs, our great books of great thoughts are really not really beliefs or thoughts at all, only answers to needs. And those needs are not universal. It is arguable also that I am pathological, that I am missing some vital human faculty. However, in all my travels and encounters, I have never yet wished another person or persons harm. More usually, I love rather easily, and recently have noticed a lot of desire and heat to crush them till they blow away like dust in the world, a consensus that the problem is other people. I'm pretty sure in these days of growing zealotry I might be in some forms of danger, but nothing like the dangers the zealots already imagine they are in. And not from me, guns, etc. I will not know why this difference exists, though I am glad that I know it. Much becomes clear with this understanding, but it does mean I can't possibly write a book that a large enough number of people would be interested in reading. I think there have been other contrarians who have made a go of it. Christopher Hitchens, Jordan Peterson, the great feminists, Jermaine Greer, etc. But it is interesting that they too fulfill a need perhaps of the few rather than the many and they have a charisma therefore that creates a following. And as I understand followers, they can be a rather dangerous bunch. Edward Bernays was an apostle of Carl Jung. To me, one of the worst Europeans was an acolyte of one of the best. Bernays' needs were different. And with a slight twist of logic, we find leaders created and made necessary through the same need as feeds the need of to unifying, unifyingly believe. Fred Hampton was magnificent, but a movement based on charismatics needs charismatics always. And maybe they are charismatic because of the need. I live with and around people who agree almost to a person that Facebook is an evil thing and that some form of monotheism is a good thing that we live in a democracy. It isn't so much that I disagree with any of these apparent absolutes as much as I don't need to agree with them. And boy, do they, as if it unifies them, fulfills that terrible need. I remember before the Gulf butchery in the early 2000s, was gathering steam. Another in my circle came back from a protest. She said, it feels so good to feel a part of something. Maybe this is why the Vietnam generation became so selfish. We might say that because there are lots of them and one of me in my neighborhood, that I am the zealot. I think I have displayed the characteristics, but I'm weaning myself off the obsession, mostly by acknowledging I am needless. I do not need any agreement since I have learnt why there is no agreement. I don't understand either why we have wall-to-wall media's discussion about the logjam in the political world and breathless protestations about democracy lost and the Constitution mandates two senators per state and given that that is where the logs jam and the Republican senators are elected by a minority of those who vote for senators, there you have it, Mr. salt. It is no democracy. Then, pointing out that it was the founders' intention to have only a marginal democracy, concentrating power in the hands of one gender, race and economic class, invites real rage. Why? Because they need to believe it. It really does make idiots of us all the need to believe this. This is the ultimate cheek. It has been stated, outspoken, shouted publicly, that it is healthier that schoolchildren believe that slavery was a comfortable arrangement so they will not lose their self-esteem. That is on the loony side, but there is also the myth that the Constitution is an enlightened liberal document. I don't think so. Millions do. But it needn't be anything. It is what we need it to be, so it works for both sides of the aisle. The reality is concealed, so fantasy can return, and it seems allows us, some of us to sleep better at night believing we are special because we possess magic papers brought to us by demigods. It is no fault of the papers or even the demigods, the founders. They have been admired by such a plethora, from Castro to Hitler, for those in the admiring business. Colin Powell is now a saint or a war criminal based simply on what we need. In this world, there are no truths at all. Propaganda is all about need. There's no way around it no resolution, needs are built in, sanctioned by society. So all our mores and strangenesses are filtered through these assumptions and we struggle along trying to solve problems but still clinging to what we have deemed sacred. That is a much higher priority than solving world hunger or gun violence. And in case this seems more narcissistic than I already clearly am, I do have needs, massive Life-controlling needs, as we should, just apparently not the ones that need God and scapegoats. And they never allow me to sanction the killing of other people. The rest do. One caveat before I banish you and find another world elsewhere. It might be worthwhile seeing my case of alienation of not needing what others need, and needing what they don't, as a divergence of needs. As we try so hard to hobbitize, and that divergence is fatal, that hobbits will pay twice what their house and car are worth, and imagine banks are their friends, the 11th commandment might actually be at the heart of our great unrest. An element of the reaction to the insurrection has been its dismissal that one group dismisses it as the action of a sort of Neanderthal subgroup is really creepy in a democracy. It is a crime, like most crimes, there is a cause which is not addressed by the sad closure of punishment. But if one is not careful, that is what one is being led to believe, that the poacher is criminal while his family starves. Nothing changes when his hand is cut off except his family dies sooner. I remember quite well the election of Trump, or rather his loss, but elevation. Thank you, Electoral College. And now, after his loss, what is the basis of Trump love? I have allowed the question to trouble me, and there are some clear possibilities, and the ones I see are deeply woven into our myth system. It really isn't about some incomprehensible alien, some willfully uneducated, angry community. I think his support rises from the ranks of believers in the idea that America is supposed to be. A certain, some smiling historian's smile. America is unique because it is not based on ethnicity. It is an idea. This is not true. And if it were, it doesn't work. There is no person one vote if that is the idea. It is no multi-ethnic melting pot where all of us are equally free to pursue our dreams. It is spiritless. A spiritless space of retail and real estate fascinating things are said as if we should admire them my constituents vote for who puts money in their pocket food on their table and gas in their tank bread and butter issues yes your voters think only of themselves and you flatter them making it a virtue I don't think they do actually think only of themselves It's another patronizing media position. So the candidate tells the voter what they want to hear. Out of this comes Trump. Of course, his voters and donors haven't had to worry about bread and butter for generations, but they cling to the myth of deprivation, which is is as eternal as the poor will always be with you in the Bible. And eternally, we allow it. Jeff Bezos is a master of retail. There are no deeds, discoveries, negotiations, no service to humanity, no heroism in any kind of battle. He's just a person, maybe even a delightful one. I have no way of knowing, but his conspicuous consumption of rocket fuel is pretty sad. And he moves uncriticized for one reason. The American people want to be him because they are nothing else. They're not outraged at his tax avoidance, as the left claims. He didn't write the tax law. We did, if indeed we are government by the people. Why would we still do a silly thing like that unless we saw our chance, our bread and butter that extrapolates out to billionairedom? And we of the other side. I do find Trump and his apostles really unpleasant. Might at last confess we are trying to move away from the myth of America. This will obviously be in part anti-American. It will be an easy accusation. Meathead says to Archie Bunker all those years ago, I'm not a communist. I am for civil rights. Archie, yeah, that makes you a communist. John Meacham might swear civil rights are as American as apple pie, but they are not. They had to be fought and died for, and one half the electorate are very keen on taking them away again. So the anti-Trump left, my side, claims they are the true Americans, constitutional children of the civil rights movement, while the Trumpists claim the same mantle, real Americans. The tragedy for me and mine is they have a history on their side. I'm not being anti-American here any more than I am bound to be an anti-colonial Europe. Anti-colonial Europe who by the way are enthusiastically washing their hands of their histories of atrocity while smirking at Trumpist America. Is it at all possible to acknowledge that the whole European movement from pick a century is finally spasming to its end? That we all have work to do, we descendants of slave owners who can whine we never own one ourselves, but we work hard to rehab our ancestors? It seems important, a need I don't possess, to see our ancestors fondly, to see ourselves fondly, perhaps, we who are born in sin, a truly abject concept and myth that drove my ancestors to do the unspeakable over and over again. How do I clear myself of it? By not buying into the myth. Sin is not inherent, it is a choice. That is what my ancestors did under cover of helplessness. They help themselves They held themselves, they still do hold themselves unaccountable. Or if they were doing something wrong, lightning would have struck DC like Gomorrah, but it didn't, so God had approved. The left howling for blood is a strange sound in my ear, but it is all I am hearing. Just ask, just once, what is their grievance? What is the grievance of the insurrectionist? It doesn't even have to be valid, but we'll never know till we ask. We never asked on 9-11 either. We condemned. A habit develops of not asking, of always being right. It is very lazy. Perhaps it began in the Indian Wars, the Crusades. Pick a war. They attacked us for precisely the reason we attacked them. The poor community will go to war and die because their Sauron or Gandalf says, We need you, Frodo. You are the pure one, the only one who can carry the ring, strumming the lyre of their ghastly fundamentalism, their terrible need. You massacred the entire Seventh Cavalry, you savages. Well, yes, yeah, Sand Creek, etc. The press of the Lord of the Rings movie imagined the Fellowship as the West and Mordor in the East as well. The East... It was funny to watch Viggo Mortensen say say, no. We are the orcs here. Charlie Rose nearly fell off his seat. It may be even as Carl Jung said and was persecuted for saying Christianity was a bad fit for a culture steeped in Valhalla and the tension made Nazis. Christianity is the greatest of all Habitizers, Tolkien's very own allocating the instincts and impulses of heroism and its killer companion to a hereditary line of kings or elves or dwarfs. What's left? Hobbits and orcs. Hmm. How many of us imagine our world like that? Heroes, victims, and mindless zombies with suspiciously dark skin. In the various hurricanes this year, the TV camera stops in front of the umpteenth collapsed house and asks a woman, how do you feel losing everything you ever had? Coaxing tears, some part of some watcher might scream at the TV. For tens of thousands of years, you were nomads. Pick up your stuff and move on instead of bawling like shire folk. They are too busy, our media, feeding our myth of comfort and mush. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, by the by, both Oxford grads, esteemed myth creators, writing deep stuff preceding a mythology that preceded them, following the great monks of the Arthur legend Geoffrey of Monmouth and the writers after who created the myth we young boys all sucked up like spiritual nectar because it evolved big beastly adventure but concealed an astonishing castration kick in the end. And what a miserable lot that round table seated all stifled by their cumbersome cumbersome virtue between their bouts of butchery. What a life, eh? What natural-born sinners they all turned out to be. The best knight of all couldn't keep his hands off his best friend's wife. What chivalry this chivalry is. These are all cautionary stories, controlling God-watched and judged. A whole densely packed and potent part of our nature is dismissed. Our Dionysus is forbidden, and our need... Of authority is born and here we are pallid unnatural submissive dismissive and patronizing speaking a language of ingratiation I cannot bring my own tongue to bear and mine is well trained to dancing vocabularies and now we hold forth to impress or genuflect not communicate at all so the long and the long is I might be useful a book might have a market but it simply is not worth the battle, too deep to dig. There are not enough gold rings bestowable that can make it worthwhile. Make me venture to slay that Grendel and that damn damn. Beowulf, the daddy of all the Christian myths of my northern peoples, the culture Jung said to be respectful of. Beowulf never quite fit either, dying of dragon fire. It was a few centuries before the Christian George slayed the pagan dragon ignoring its wisdom again and consigning it to the evil with the serpent of Eden should you choose a life civilized at the price of the life full should you mistake one for the other you're going to run into some trouble the great project of civilization I was born into has been precisely that we are born sinners as above and will always fail to get beyond it so we need a guide And it has failed abysmally, though it has made universities big business. There where the final mystical work of churning out orcs and hobbits of obedience is done. The changes necessary are not hidden somewhere in the bad notions that got us here, not in constitutions or God, hiding under their skirts has failed. They are lawgivers, full of lies, myths. Myths. I just watched Dear Evan Hansen. I might nominate. Oh, it is not my world, my cup of tea, my anything. It's a musical. But I was drawn in utterly, emotionally transported. Everything melts in my world. It just opens up. It is really a work of art and much worthwhile to think about. Like, does it matter if it's a lie? (laughs) All movies are... And I suppose they work based on how well the lies allow us to access our truth. Or is that art altogether? These kids, the actors, under 30 is a kid for me, manipulating their tender instrument. It's all good because it is, is in fact, all so bad. The story is that every person, people who seem well-adjusted, is an unreachable mess and how we might save ourselves a lot of suicides if we just acknowledged that and made an art of reaching, made a culture of it, a civilization. Is that maybe the fantastic? fantasy that the Enlightenment gilded the United States with. Was that the propaganda used to sweeten the acrid truth of the mother of all ethnic cleansings? I do hear that stumbled thought often, a lie that blinds. I was sobbing, often in sympathy, empathy, but some rage too that lurks not far from the other two. Was there a time in human history when children were honored in any fashion when their great mystery of passing through time to another place, than another and the next, was central to our community. As I passed my times, I, was, I always thought children had much more to teach than be taught. What might we be had we seen it that way? What us might have become? Instead, we pass on our unfound half-truths, imagining that it is useful then, I assume as a dad, feel something like pride at our half-pint impersonator? What if the Evan Hansons were not a problem to themselves, to mom, to us, to be medicated to the point of resemblance? What if we saw in him or her the essence of life, struggling towards selfhood and losing, because there is no history of that struggle in our myth, only obedience, which gets to no self at all? It is stirring to watch the PBS study of Ali, while society fumes about trans people. What did Ali do? He renamed, he claimed himself. He said, I am not who and what you say I am. I am this, not that. Malcolm X too. I never understood these two remarkable persons' allegiance to a leader so unequal to them. I never will, except that the allegiance may be to the world that welcomed them as they transitioned from Clay to Ali, from Little to X, and became what we rarely ever see. I suppose they were born with the genius, we could see, but there is something else for me, a numinous glow of them that have struggled and discovered themselves. Perhaps we might see them in the transgender struggle and welcome them. There's a story seldom told of Tiresias, the prophet seer of Greek mythology, he is a promising young chap in the intuitive vein when Zeus and Hera ask him to settle an argument he enjoys the act who enjoys the act of love more man or woman tiresias said the woman everything man enjoys the woman experiences tenfold hera was furious with him the secret was out and turned him into a woman tiresias for 20 years then she heeded her some good turn and she turned turned her back to him She turned her back to him. Thereafter, he became truly the wisest because he had been both man and woman. This is often a pagan take on such things. The other is genius, holy. Monotheism eradicated this myth as fast as their bloodthirsty hearts could. If I had no other reason for disliking their cults, this would be enough. For some reason I have always been fascinated by what is unlike me. What kind of shocking self-confidence that is. Perhaps it was living among Trinidadians at an impressionable age, people impossibly beautiful. Then reading very soon after, studying up on James Baldwin at 14 years old, I felt I met a kindred spirit entire a straight white boy struck dumb by this most marvelous explorer of inner life. The other that was no other at all. Why wasn't I bullied and mocked mercilessly 50 years ago? I was bullyable, small and oversensitive. Maybe I was bullied, but it was off a duck's back. Why that? Was it another time, early 70s? Was I dangerous? I've heard that. Bullies saw me and flinched. I have no idea why or I didn't care most likely, but I feel for those not so lucky because I know it was close. There's a marvellous sequence in Dear Evan where they seem to all come out of a closet and acknowledge they were all suffering, leading lives of quiet desperation, and is adulthood a flight from their desperation, or just more of the same with credit card debt? It is a kind of madness that children are drugged and psychiatrically analysed out the wazoo, perhaps we should do better with madness and senses of alienation, not belonging, maybe celebrate it a little. There are more things in heaven and earth than I dreamt of in your philosophy, psychology book. And boy, are there books out there on how to avoid the truths of madness, depression, anxiety, etc., etc. And might we not say that We are not mad, but the system to whose altars we have decided to kneel is bound to create a multitude of medication takers. We ask, as if it were vital, are you better off than you were last year? This is the first generation that will not do better than their parents? What idiot gives a toss? Dear Evan Hansen, great movie, might have said, let's draw up a list of what normal people do that proves their abject misery. And you know the definition of madness, constantly imagining the Constitution to be a pro- progressive document while over and over again, because we need to. So I do not think I will write that book. I do not kill dragons. They are full of wisdom. It will just, I will just keep on talking till I die, change my mind and direction, committing nothing to the page that might last longer than a minute. Oh, that the founders and writers of the Constitution have done the same and break my own habits, my versions of war that hurts no one else. The greatest of the writers, the Hararis, Cronkite's, Baldwin's, and the Morrisons among us cannot be rewarded enough, literally. There is no throne to sit on in any kind of honesty. I'm not that good a person, and that is the story they tell. I used to to think these people were the product of some culture, some environment, a peer of their time. Marlowe leads to Shakespeare. But the evidence is not there. They seem to stand alone, swim merrily upstream against the tide. Every word Harari writes is a kind of autobiography and only a rare mind can create that kind of honesty. In all honesty, the rest of us fake it and the consequences are appalling. Imagine if St. Paul had liked women. If I don't write or the rest of the conceited crew, the rest of us will be forced to think for ourselves. What a wonderful world that would be.